0: Alright, well, welcome everybody. Um, Very nice to to have you join us and Happy Easter. Um, Yeah, I'm excited. I've been kind of praying through this and just seeing what God wanted to lead us uh, through today. Obviously, it's Easter and we're talking about the cross and what happened and all that sort of stuff. But um, what I can promise you, it's not a a cliché message of of any sort. Um, Not that cliché is bad, but... Just I'm trying to get your attention, okay? <laughs> so, um, before we start, let's just pray, okay? Father, we just come before you now, Lord. We quieten our hearts and we just pray, Lord, that you speak, that you be in the centre, Lord, that you say that all, all that you want to say, Lord, that you convict and that you touch hearts and that you challenge us, Lord, to walk away different from who we are right now, Lord. We thank you for your sacrifice and we thank you for dying on the cross uh, for our sins, Lord. We pray that you speak, Lord, and uh, we thank you that you're with us. In your name we pray. Amen. Alright. So, I've titled today, True Abandonment. And I'll explain why I've titled it that and what that kind of means. Okay. But firstly, Easter for you might be a time of you know Easter eggs and Easter bunnies and I don't know if you guys do the the colouring on the eggs and things like that. Um, And, you know, you can do Easter egg hunts and all these different things that happen during this time of Easter. And, you know, you can take pictures and feast and eat and do all this crazy stuff uh, together during this particular time. But I really hope that's not your view on Easter. Um, (laughs) um, And if that is your view of Easter, I'm going to tell you that that is a hollow view. Um, just like an Easter chocolate bunny, um, and that is not what Easter is all about. And we all know kind of the story of Easter, right? So we know that Jesus died for the cro- on the cross for our sins and um, what that all means and signifies. And we're going to tackle this topic a little differently um, than your just normal crucifixion story. And I'm not putting heresy in here or anything like that, like... We're just going to tackle it from a little bit of a different angle, but we're still going to touch on the main uh, sections of the story. Okay. And um, just before I kind of get into it, you know, me being in Sunday school when I was in Sunday school, I would always, when it, when it comes to the time of Easter, my mind is in A million different places. I'm thinking about chocolate. I'm thinking about, you know, what I'm going to do after, who I'm going to talk to, who I'm going to spend time with. And my mind was just always not focused on what was happening in the moment when the teacher was speaking. Um, I was always thinking about the next thing or what's going to happen or what I'm going to get afterwards. Um, And I hope that that is not us tonight, uh, today. Um, And I want us to really focus and really concentrate on what Jesus wants to say directly um, to you. Because there is a message for us, um, just like there always is. You just have to be receptive to it and have a soft heart towards what God wants to say. So I'm going to start by giving us the hardest and greatest problem in all of the Bible. And this problem is, if God is good, he can't forgive you and he can't forgive me. In my opinion, that's the greatest problem that I see when I read the Bible. Because... If God is righteous and holy, He can't forgive us. If God is just, how can He just simply turn His back on sin? How can He cover our sin, as the Bible says? How, how can He cast our sin as far as the east is from the west? Literally in the book of Psalms, and again in, the, in Romans chapter 4, it says He covers it. He covers our sin. So let me ask you, what do you think of a judge who just sweeps crime under a rug? Do we call that judge righteous? Or do we call that judge corrupt? Is that judge maintaining righteousness? Absolutely not. He's not. He's destroying righteousness and what righteousness actually means. And you see, there lies the great problem in the Bible, and that is God is righteous. And because he's righteous, and because He's holy. And because he is love, he hates. He hates evil. And some people say, well, God is love, therefore he doesn't hate. No, God is love, therefore he must hate. He hates evil. He hates your evil. He hates my evil. And he can't just turn his back on evil that happens. So God is a righteous judge. And shouldn't the judge of the whole world, the God, who is the judge of the whole world, do what is right? So the great question in the Bible is, how can God be just and forgive wicked men and wicked women? How can he do it? And that's where Easter comes in. And that's all found in the character and the person of Jesus Christ. And... This is something that I feel a lot of us don't understand about the cross. We are all condemned, right? So God in his righteousness, he condemns all of mankind. Everyone here, everyone who has ever walked since Adam, we are all condemned in our sins. And you can go to church, you can um, pray, you can do all these different things, add to it, whatever you want to add in, in in that box you are condemned. And it's not going to help you anything else, right? And to be in heaven, if you're a person who is going to be in heaven, you must be perfect and have perfect righteousness. And none of us have that. Right? I'm throwing a few things at you right now and you're probably like, oh my gosh, none of us are going into heaven, but no, there's good news. Hold on. Yeah, so to be in heaven, you must Be perfect because sin does not dwell in those places, in perfection, in heaven. And God can't do this any other way. And because He's righteous, He can't just sweep the crimes, He can't just sweep the sins under the rug. So, in His righteousness, He condemns you and He condemns me and He condemns all of humanity. And God, in His love, Becomes a man and lives a life that you and I could not live. And not only was he avoiding sin, but at the same time, he lived a perfect righteous life, a life of perfect righteousness. He wasn't just avoiding the negative, but he was always doing the positive, a perfect righteous life. And then we know the story of, you know, Jesus, he goes up to Calvary, and on Calvary, he dies. But now here's the problem, because I feel like when it comes to the time of Easter, we hear sermons about these particular things, right? And we hear about, you know, the Romans nailing him to the tree and beating him and stabbing him and all these things which did happen and I'm not denying any of that. But sometimes we miss the point when that is all we talk about. Because we're not saved from our sins because the Romans beat up Jesus or killed him a gruesome death. We are saved from our sin because Jesus became sin and rose again. Jesus became sin. And a lot of the time we we hear this and we say, okay, Jesus Jesus became sin for us. But what, what does that actually mean? Have you asked yourself, what does it mean for Jesus to become sin? We're going to explain. Luke twenty two thirty eight to 46. This is um, in the Garden of Gethsemane with um, Jesus, with Peter, John and James. And it says, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So we just read from Luke, but... In the gospel of Matthew and Mark, he prays this prayer three times. So he says, let this cup pass away from me. Let this cup pass away from me. Let this cup pass away from me. Three times. And my question to us is, do you read that and think that Jesus is afraid of the Roman torture? Do you think that he's afraid of the, the, the beating that he's about to get, the mockery, the spitting, the, all that stuff? Do you think that he is actually afraid of, Of what's about to come. Because that's not true. That's not why. You see so many people think that when Jesus is is looking at this metaphorical cup. He is thinking about the cross. And the torture. And the mocking. And all of those things that happen. Which then causes him to sweat blood. But that is not true. Because how is it that, that pretty much all the apostles but John. And countless other martyrs in the history of the Bible, went to the cross. They, were, they, were, they died the same way as Jesus. They went to the cross singing hymns. They were full of joy at being crucified like their Lord. So how is it that the disciples of Jesus had more boldness than their savior? That simply cannot be true. He didn't sweat blood because he was afraid of anything. He was sweating blood in the garden simply because he wasn't sweating blood simply because of a Roman cross that he was going to be crucified him. It was because he dwelt in the embrace of the father with perfect delight between him and the father. He's always been his beloved son in whom the father was well pleased. He was fully aware of what was to come and that's not the cross and the suffering but that is the father's withdrawal from his Son. That is why he bled as he sweat. And on that tree, the father withdrew his presence from his son that he should have done to us. He should have withdrawn himself from us, not from his son, Jesus, who was perfect. And on the cross, he said in Matthew twenty-seven forty-six, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema." That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, he cried out, why have you forsaken me? And I used to, I don't know if if you're the same, but I used to read that particular section and I used to glance over it because I just didn't understand it. Like, why, why is the father abandoning his son? You know, like this Jesus He lived a perfect life and you're abandoning him in the moment that he needs you the most. That's how I used to approach it and read it. And I'm saying, why? Why are you doing this? And just to give you a bit of background on this, this was actually verse one in Psalms 22. Which was written about 1000 years before Jesus was actually born. And I encourage you to read Psalms 22 for yourself. It's actually a prophecy of Jesus on the cross. But we are saved of our sin because when he was on that tree, all of your sin, all of my sin was placed on him at that particular moment. And that is why God turned away from his son. This was true abandonment of the father. He turned away from his only son because his only son became sin. That is why he turned from him. His father, God, abandoned Jesus, his son, and all our sin was placed on Jesus, and he became the final and complete sacrifice for all of our sins. And in that particular moment, he was banished from the presence of God, because sin cannot exist in God's presence, and that is why God had to forsake Jesus on the cross, because God being perfect, he cannot have sin dwell within that. And it's not that Jesus and his character was sinful. It was that he took our sins at that particular moment so him and the Father could not be together in that instant. He withdrew himself from his Son. And that separation from God that you and I should have experienced for all of eternity, the Son of God experienced in a moment on a tree. And it just wasn't the negative withdrawal of God's presence from Christ. But it was the full force of God's wrath, of his holy hatred against you and against me. That as a righteous and just God, he must pour out. He poured out on his only son. Isaiah 53 10 says, And it pleased the Lord to crush the Messiah. It pleased the Lord. I read this on my my goodness. I've been reading the Bible completely different. It pleased the Lord to crush the Messiah, to crush him under the full force of the wrath of God. And the father crushed his son. That's exactly what was in that cup. It's the wrath of the almighty God against every sin that we have ever committed. And he drank it all And when he cried out, it is finished, he would have turned that cup over and not a single drop would have fell out of that cup because he drank every single bit of our sins, paid in full. And he died and on the third day he rose again. But by his own power, by the Spirit's power, by the power of the Father, he was raised again. So let me tell you today, whether you bless him or curse him, love him or hate him, he is God, whether we like it or not. Philippians 2, 9 to 11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It says here that every knee will bow. And you see that some of us are going to bow by the grace that is given to us by God. And some of us are going to be forced to bow down because he's God whether you like it or not. Even if you declare him, um, everyone is going to declare him as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Even the demons believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And let me tell you that Jesus is coming back. But depending on which side of the fence you are on, there is either going to be good news or there's going to be bad news. For those of us who is, it's going to be a good day and good news, we're going to proclaim God is here. And for those who say it's bad news, they are also going to say God is here. You See, because some of us are worshipping the, the, the creation rather than the creator. We want what God can give, but we don't actually want God. You either grab hold of Christ fully or you don't grab hold of Him at all because if you're half-heartedly grabbing onto Him, you're not actually grabbing Him at all. Revelation 6.16, it's talking about Judgment Day in this particular um, instant, or just before Judgment Day. They call to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of Of the Lamb. There is a judgment day. There is a heaven and hell. And you see, I used to explain heaven as eternity with God, which is accurate. And I used to explain hell as eternal separation from God, which is partially true. But hell is also the wrath and justice of God. Hell isn't ruled by Satan. Hell is ruled by God. It's not, it's not Satan who's in charge and decides where people go. No, that is the wrath and the justice of God. There is justice in people ending up in hell, whether you believe it or not. Because in our walk with God, since birth, we are all walking towards hell. But from the moment you accept Jesus in your life, you take steps towards heaven and you start moving towards heaven. You accept Jesus, you move to heaven. If you don't, you are continuing to move towards hell. Revelation 20:11 to 15. This is the judgment of the dead. Then I saw a great white throne, and on him who was seated on it, and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in, um, in them. Each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name is not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Here it talks about the great and the small. Whether you have health, whether you have wealth, whether you have status, whether you have anything, none of that stuff matters when you're standing face to face in front of God. He's asking you one question. What have you done to further my kingdom? Is he going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, or he's going to turn you back towards his uh, justice and his wrath in heaven, in hell? Sorry. And if you are certain that you belong to God, then you know, be blessed and continue doing His will. But if you don't know God, I promise you, the Bible promises you, not me, there is another side. Turn away from the world and look to Jesus, because the evidence of your salvation is made clear in your walk with Christ. And he who begins a good work in you who is Christ will finish it. You see, we like hearing sermons of the kind, nice, caring, loving God, which he rightly is. But this is also God, who you don't choose him, you're going to hell. There's no nice way of saying it. And there, there's, no, there's no such thing as salvation for all that is heresy and that does not exist. There is the way of God and there is the way of not God. There is heaven and there is hell. Matthew ten twenty-eight. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This is this was the message of Jesus was on earth and this is what he said. My question is, what is the worst someone can do to you as a Christian while on earth? Kill you? So be it. It's better for you to die than for your soul and your body to be destroyed in hell. And you're probably thinking... Dave, well, it's Easter. We don't really want to hear about this like morbid things that are written in the Bible. We want the happy Jesus. But this is the truth. This is the truth of the Bible. We should actually fear the one who has the power and authority and, to, and who can justly destroy us. Not other people. We're not trying to please men. We're trying to please God. What are you doing to please God while you're on earth? Do our actions reveal your love for Christ or not? Matthew ten thirty-two to 39 says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus was very direct you see it 's not just putting about um, it 's not just putting the bad things before Christ that make things sinful it 's about putting anything before Christ that makes it sinful, whether it 's good or whether it 's bad. anything before Christ is sinful, but God gives us an option on Calvary. He gave us an option he says. All you are thirsty, come drink from the well that will never make you thirst again. And I want to challenge some of us tonight. I want to challenge us in that if, you've, if you're constantly empty, if you're constantly longing, if you're constantly desiring more from your life and you don't see a purpose and you don't understand what the meaning of life is, perhaps you haven't actually experienced Jesus. There is no Christ Without repentance. There is no Christ without acknowledgement of sin. There is no salvation without repentance. And we should all be broken over our sins daily, broken over the price Jesus paid for us on the cross. Because the meaning of Easter isn't about chocolate and the things that we get, but the meaning of Easter is that the Son of God paid the price for our sins and rose again to reconcile us. To God. Easter means that our greatest enemy, which is death, has been conquered. Easter means that our sins are forgiven and we are made right with God. Easter means that God is truly king and truly victor, seated far above every ruler, every authority, every power, every dominion, every other name that ever exists. Easter means that love is stronger than death. It was for love. That God gave. For God so loved the world that He gave. To love you give. And God did exactly that on the cross. It was for love that He died for you and for me. You see, Easter is related to the word East, and which is where the sun rises from. It relates to new days, to new beginnings. Um, and I want us to know that all our accomplishments that This life that you live, if you are living a life that is only pleasing towards the flesh, is only pleasing towards what other people want of this life. If your models in life are um, motivational speakers, celebrities, all these different people, you're missing the point. You're missing the point of life. Your role model should be one person and one person alone, which is Jesus Christ. He paid the price for you so you can honour him so that you wouldn't have to bear the sins of yourself, let alone the world. He wants us to be doing the will of the Father, not the will of my flesh. So perhaps this Easter is a new beginning for you. It's a new sunrise. It's a new day. And there are exactly two types of people and, and no other. You either know God or you don't know God. If you're sitting on the fence, you don't know God. You're either fully in or you are fully out. Jesus is not 50-50, Jesus is 100%. And when I, you see, because we like to, we like to commit to different things. Sometimes we're more committed to the gym than we are committed to our relationship with Christ. We are committed to our jobs, we are committed to our health, to our money, to our status. We commit to all these different things, but spending 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes a day is too difficult for us to do. It takes spiritual discipline for us to spend time with God that does not come from our own power and will, but that comes from Him. Do you pray that God can give you the ability to even read your Bible and spend time Reading the Word of God on a daily basis? Or do you try to do that by your own desire, by your, by your flesh? You wake up and say, today I'm going to read and you, know, you can watch these motivational videos and they tell you, you are, you are great, you are this, you can do this, or you can accomplish. You can't accomplish anything. That is a lie. You can't accomplish anything without Christ being in your life. Because yes, from an earthly perspective, you've accomplished wealth, you've accomplished status, You have a business, you have all these different things. But in the long run, that means nothing. Those are accomplishments of the world, not accomplishments of God. Our purpose is to make disciples of all nations, to spread the gospel, to love, to become more like Christ. And if if along the journey you get blessings of money and different things, then so be it. God has honored you in that way. But whether you have money or you don't have money, your job on earth is still exactly the same. You see, the goal of a saved Christian is not to enter heaven. I used to always think, I had a conversation with a friend and um, they, they, they're very much on the weird side of Christianity nowadays, which is like health and wealth and all that rubbish um, but I was speaking to that person and they were asking me, so what's the point, what's the point of living? And my answer to them was, uh, wrongly, was to, uh, to, to, to go to heaven. Like, that's my, my goal in life. But the more I read my Bible, the more I understand that that's not true. The goal of a Christian is not to enter heaven. That's just the destination. That's just the destination. Heaven is the destination, but Christ is the goal. Our purpose on earth is to become more like Christ on a daily basis. Guys, we don't belong to the world. We belong to God. And we have a job to do. We have a mission. Our goal is to be transformed into the likeness of Christ more every single day. And I want to challenge us: if that you have, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, whenever that may have been, um, in your life, what are the boundaries that you put in front of God on a daily basis? That every time He wants to communicate to you, you put up a barrier. Because this sounds funny, but this is true. So every time, think every time you want to read your Bible, you're saying, "All right." Right now, I'm going to read some of my Bible. And, and Satan is in the back of your mind telling you Netflix. He's telling you Facebook. He's telling you this. He's telling you that. And that, that's, I'm, I'm really not trying to make a joke. I'm really just trying to tell you that this is Satan. like This, this, is, this is real warfare that Satan uses these everyday things in order to get you away from God. So Satan every day is going to say, how can I get this person to, if if not to take a step away from God, just to not to take a step forward with God. His mission is to drag you as far away as possible from Christ. And a lot of the time he succeeds. Maybe that's for you. Maybe that's what you need to do. To have that spiritual discipline that before you do anything in the morning, you pray and that you ask God Help me today to spend time reading your word. Help me today to do such and such. Is Jesus the first person you speak to? Is your mobile phone the first contact that you have? All or nothing, let's be sold out for what we believe. And if you haven't accepted God, perhaps, um, this is an opportunity and... Accepting Christ is not just a moment thing that happens and you're saved. It's your acceptance and it's your walk with him. His word says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Repent and believe the good news of Jesus. And watch your life be transformed daily. I was speaking to a friend at work and I was telling her, um, we are kind of just speaking about God and different things. And I was telling her um, to read a, a couple of different areas of the Bible. And she would read and she would come back with different questions. And she would say, what about this or what about that? Um, and it got to a point where I told her that, what are you afraid of? Are you, are you scared of your life to be transformed? And she, she kind of looked stunned. She looked at me in shock in, like, in, in shock. In, in a bit of disrespect as well, as if I was kind of disrespecting her, telling her that, um, you know, your life is going to be transformed. Therefore, her kind of mindset at that moment was, are you saying I'm not good enough? And in reality, yes, that, that's true. Um, and I told her, your life will be transformed if you accept and if you read the Bible and I think from that moment our relationship kind of turned a little bit where we weren't as close as, as we actually were. And I don't care. Um, because I'm saying the truth. I wasn't, I wasn't saying anything harsh. I didn't mean to disrespect her. I didn't mean to do anything to upset her in that particular moment. I was telling her the truth. I didn't change the way I saw her or interacted with her after that moment. But I told her the truth. And that's what we are all called to do, to say the truth and for God to convict and change hearts. It's not up to you to change people. It's up to God to change people. So just lastly, today let's understand what Jesus did on the cross. Let's understand that he wasn't afraid of the cross. He wasn't afraid of being tortured. But he was in agony over the abandonment of the Father due to bearing the sins of the world In that moment, once and for all, the perfect sacrifice. He experienced the abandonment of the Father and the weight of sin upon Him so that you and I don't have to go to hell when we accept Jesus into our life. To be forever with Him. To accept the free gift of Jesus Christ. Because we have the cure to a disease that is more crazy than COVID or any other disease that is going on. We have the cure for that. And if I was to tell you right now, obviously COVID is a big thing, right? So if I was to tell you right now that you have an antidote or the cure that works 100%, I don't know what the kind of percentage of efficiency of what's going on at the moment of these vaccines, but if I, was, I know it's not 100%, so... If I was to tell you that you have the vaccine to 100% success rate. Don't you think it would be selfish of me to keep this vaccine to myself and not share it with the rest of the world? And I'm afraid a lot of us do this at points. You know, you have relationships at work, at uni, at wherever you are in life. And you have the antidote, you have the vaccine, you have the cure to their disease that is more violent than coronavirus and that is killing people slowly. And it's our job to give this vaccine or to at least hand the vaccine over to people and it's their choice whether they take it or not. But it's our job to give people the cure, Jesus Christ. That's all that I I had for us today. but what I want us to do, and one of the purposes of actually a church, is that we pray together. Um, and I want us to do right now, to just get into groups of three or four, whatever whatever you want, um, and just pray. Pray for each other and with each other. And for us to really change our perspective to not be so focused on ourselves, but to be focused on Christ. To remember what he did on the cross, so that we wouldn't have to endure that pain and that suffering and that abandonment or any of that. Let us remember and let us pray for each other and with each other. And also, just I guess a, a, a wording of encouragement. Guys, like this... This place this church is not just a Friday thing that happens we should be regularly following up with our friends do we do we message our friends do we check up on our friends do we call our friends you know do we pray with our friends because yeah we're at a great place where I feel like most people are close with each other here but there is there is more there is more to come and if we're not taking practical steps in trying to seek intimacy with each other and mainly with Christ collectively, we're going to stay stagnant. Um, and there is more to come. There is relationship. Um, and I give this example a lot, but it truly means so much to me that living in a, in a first world country is not always a blessing. It really, really, really isn't. Like from, from, from a Christian perspective, our lives can perhaps be better if we lived in a third world country where we were waiting for persecution to happen we don't know if we're going to wake up tomorrow or not because when your life is at risk when like you don't know if tomorrow you're going to live or you're going to die where you don't know where your next breath is is going to come all you have is Christ to grab hold of like in that in that particular moment if I'm not with Christ I'm I'm stuffed I'm, I'm nothing. I'm destroyed. So in that moment, you see in, 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 in these third world countries, the church is so strong. The church is seeing all these things happen and all this craziness prevail in front of them. But that's because all they want in life is Jesus and Jesus alone. They don't care that they have a job or whether they don't have a job. They don't care about where the next dollar is coming from and i think something that god really challenged me with recently so i i I recently just got a new job and my my fear was um there is such a thing as probation when you when you begin a new role right and most of the time it's around a six month probation and my thought was what if what if i lose my job within the first six months like what if um i have i have no job during this COVID time and it's already really difficult to get jobs and things like that what if what if I lost my job? like I have things that I need to you know save money for and um, and um, and do to kind of move on with, with with my life to the next chapter or the next phase, and what God really was challenging me with is who cares like i I was in this fear I was put I put myself in this bubble like what if, what if, what if, but God is challenging me. It doesn't matter if you have money or not. It doesn't matter if you have a house. It doesn't matter if you have a car. It doesn't matter if you have any of those things because those things do not matter. The only thing that matters is Jesus and your relationship with Him. And as long as you have Him, anything else that happens outside the sphere of Jesus is just a blessing from God. And that's it. It's not by your own strength that you achieved or you did anything. And God might bless you with another job or He might not bless you with another job. It doesn't matter. As long as Christ is in your life, that is all that matters.